This podcast is being recorded on the traditional land of the Blackfoot Confederacy. This consists of the Kainai, Pekani, Siksika, and the Blackfeet in the U.S. We acknowledge the Stony Nakoda, which consists of the Bearspaw, Morley, and Chiniki. We acknowledge the Satina, who are Dene, and the Métis, Inuit, status and non-status from all of Turtle Island, and those who are visiting. We are all treaty people. Good evening and welcome to the Voices in Recovery podcast, brought to you by the Freedom's Path Recovery Society. We are not affiliated with any 12-step fellowship, nor do we wish to propose only one solution. We understand how different solutions can greatly increase an individual's chance of survival. We hope to illuminate some of the recovery process by sharing as many human stories as we can. Why, you might ask, to show that we can and do build stable lives from a former state of chaos, desperation, and hopelessness. Our stories become our strength. Please remember that any and all opinions shared and heard are those of the individuals and not a reflection of Freedom's Path Recovery Society or any other entity. So regardless of how crappy or wonderful our opinions might be to you, they still remain opinions, nothing more. You might hear swearing adult themes and situations, as well as the tragedies humans face and walk through every day. It is not suitable for children unless they are accompanied by a parent or guardian or have the explicit permission of those individuals. Tonight we are talking with Teresa. I'm not going to use your last name, so... Yeah, don't worry about it. You're welcome if you want to, but... Nah, it doesn't matter. So welcome. Thanks. Yeah, I, like seriously, this was a such a nice, like what I try to do with this is just get out of the way. And when uh, my partner passed on you to me, I was like, oh, that sounds really fucking cool. We should should definitely do that. So, No, thanks, Dave. I really appreciate the chance to be able to do this. And um, yeah, when when we met, it was just a natural kind of occurrence of Mm -hmm. discussion that was coming up. And I said... Oh yeah, I follow I follow your partner's podcast. I mean, you know, because we were talking about the jig is up, oh, which yeah. is the the Métis one. That guy. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I listen to yours too. It's like yay. Um, and uh, it was just a really cool case of like, okay, she. They were saying, oh well, why don't you go on? Mm-hmm. It would be awesome. I'm like me. Who would want to talk to me? So it this was kind guy. of funny. Yeah, that's what she said. It was kind mm-hmm. of cool. So I was like, that's yeah, awesome. sure. What the heck? Yeah. So tell us about you. Tell us your story. Yeah. So it all starts in a backwoods and no. But now, 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 yeah, now, now. There's no deliverance here. Oh, oh. Sorry. sorry. No pig squealing. No nothing. What um, I love though is that you get the reference. I'm just gonna throw that. Yeah, out there. I yeah. look older than I am. <laughs> You, no, well, obviously, <laughs> obviously. Um, no, uh, for me, uh, my 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 drug of choice was alcohol, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, props to those people out there too. Testify, testify. Um, and for me, it was it was just a long journey over the last twenty plus years mm-hmm. to eventual uh, sobriety, then recovery, mm-hmm. and now sustained positive, healthy lifestyle in recovery for the last four years. Oh, right on. Good for you. Yeah, it was awesome. It was great. And um, But to get to that point Mm. was just a really bizarre set of circumstances that I fell into mm-hmm. and then circumstances that I continued to fall into quite happily. You know, when you're, you're younger, you think everything is about you. 
mm. and the universe, well, at least I did, that everything in the universe at some level revolved around who I was and mm. what I was doing yep. and that I had so much say over what was going on for other people. And then you get older and you realize that's crap. Yep. And that finally lets you be free to do what you need to do in mm. life, which is be a good, good hearted, honest person. And we were just mentioning it before you came in the room, actually, of, well, great, I'm, I'm sober now, but I'm still an asshole. Mm-hmm. And that was me for a lot of it was mm-hmm. realizing that it wasn't just stopping to put the bottle down. It was also finally coming to the conclusion of why I drank and what was going mm-hmm. on and kind of of uh, of coming to grips with that mm-hmm. and having a better life and thinking that I deserved the better life. Yeah. So, yeah, that was kind of. hmm the impetus but it all started when my mother was dying when i was 16 Mm. so she died when i was 16 but she had been dying for many years and Mm. i was not handling it at any way shape or form very well and i think other people can kind of attest to that you don't have those life skills and you already come from kind of a difficult situation at home with some other issues your father also is a person who uh abused alcohol in his past but Mm. was sober and so when i use the term alcoholic i don't i mean in the 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 uh, reference of the past is what they called them mm-hmm. alcoholics. I I personally prefer you know person who abused alcohol because um, it was some days I'd be sober and some days I wouldn't. It was a yeah. steady on you know. I and think you I'll drunk every day. Yeah, I'll just be wasted every minute of the yeah. day. No, I was responsible. I had mm-hmm. a house. I paid my bills. I had a marriage. The whole nine yards. And um, it was weird because I wasn't dealing with any of it very well. Mm-hmm. I wasn't getting any support that I saw from family, yes, from friends, and my mother dies. So I kind of go in to this dark, deep place despite going to therapy with my dad for a little Mm -hmm. while and him and I actually having a very good relationship. We worked very hard on it together and we sort of pulled out of that kind of difficult, problematic, contentious place that we were in, which Mm -hmm. was great, but I still wasn't coping with anything. And then I remember saying, you know what, I'm so awkward and I'm so struggling with life and I don't know what I'm doing. I have no clue, constantly lost. And then I was also um, depressed, but I didn't know it. Like suffering with major depressive disorder for probably years and never, Mm -hmm. you know, nobody flagged it. Um, They didn't back then. That was like 25 years ago. I mean, they just, they just didn't know, right? Yeah, you're nodding going, yeah, they just had no clue, no fault. Um, and then, you know, anxiety. And I also had a, I didn't know this until later on in life, I have a type of autism as well. Mm -hmm. And it runs through my family. It's, um, we're all on the autism spectrum disorder, many of us, um, including my brother and his, his daughter, actually, I think are as well, daughter for sure. And other family members. So Mm -hmm. we didn't kind of quite clue all that in. So it was just this giant pile of everything at once. And I thought, here's my answer. I'll get drunk and I won't feel a damn thing. And it was fantastic. Yeah, it was. was. It was great. Um, And then the rest of your life, you're chasing, you are chasing that first hit. And it's funny, the chase turned into something more positive even later on. I started doing yoga. Mm. And that kind of balanced out some of, you know, I'd drink a lot and then I'd stop and I'd feel better, but I was still getting that nice high from the yoga. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I still do the yoga, but I don't do the drinking. Yeah. So yeah, different high now. Much better high now. Yeah. Yes. There's other things to, to mm-hmm. enjoy in life that don't require getting wasted. So like cake. 
Like, Big oh. fan of cake. You just like talk about one of my drugs of choice, man. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> yeah. Mm, I sing. So, yeah. I mean, that's kind of, that was the impetus. That was yeah. the beginning of the next 25, 20 years of, mm-hmm. of, of alcohol abuse. Never anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly because I was too terrified, I think. Yeah. I honestly thought if I put my toe in that pool, it will kill me. Yeah. But I had the illusion and the arrogance to think that I could control the drinking for a very long time. And I had so many incidents of should be dead. Yeah. Just oh, stupid as hell. Like, mm-hmm. I'm just trying to think right now. Um, my one essay that I wrote uh, for this upcoming book for next year, mm-hmm. which we'll talk about afterwards. Uh, the one case where I got completely hammered in 2009 I don't remember anything that night except that I ended up at my friend's house who's now I'm married to him. Ha ha. Uh, I win. <laughs> I win. I got the guy in the end, but I just had to be drunk and show up at his house completely insane. And he didn't know who I was because I was acting like a demon, he said. And he phoned, you know, an ambulance because mm-hmm. I scared the unholy poo out of him. Yeah. He's like, this isn't her. I've known this woman for 25 years and this is a maniac. Who, or 20 years at that point, I guess, this is a maniac on my doorstep. Who is this person? So he was like, this is bad. Yeah. I, I need to. And then, uh, you know, they took me to the hospital and they said, you got to, you got to do something. Mm-hmm. Um, You're killing yourself. This is insane. Yeah. So what are you going to do? We can't help you if you don't want to help, be helped. It's true. You can't. I can't do anything for you. I can clean you up. I can put you in the nice soft. So it was funny. I remember to this day, and I say this is funny because I have a dark sense of humor. <laughs> You're in a good room for that then. Yes, I know. Um, I Darcy's like it. that. I'm sensitive, but oh, Darcy's yes. not. Yeah. Sense of delicate people, I can yeah. tell you. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's common in anybody I know who have had addiction issues mm-hmm. of any type. They have a very dark, macabre humor because they've seen too much and they've done too much. So they, 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 they look at it like in a very dark way sometimes just Mm -hmm. so you can cope with all the evil you've seen, but all the evil you have done. Mm -hmm. Um, You're not a bad person. You're not an evil person, but you've done some stuff that is definitely on a questionable level. Mm -hmm. First, well, more than questionable. Oh yeah. You're like, whoa, okay. Downright fucking wrong. Yeah. Wrong. (laughs) Wrong down to the very, (laughs) like, wow, you have stepped over that line. And here's the line. I'm in, (laughs) They're, they're like, well, we're going to have you lay down for a while until um, your husband comes to pick you up because I was still married to the first husband at that p- time. I hadn't phoned him. I hadn't told him where I was. Nothing. So I'm AWOL. Mm-hmm. So this poor man is wondering where the hell I am. Am I dead in a ditch? Finally. Yeah. Um, and there I am in this room and there's no... <laughs> there's no corners they've they've made everything nice and rounded even the corners of the of the walls so mm. you won't hurt yourself and there's no bedding it's just a nice soft bed and you lay in it and you realize everything is shaped softly mm-hmm. you're thinking no corners there's no corners mm-hmm. i can't do anything to myself here and then you hear it click they close the door and you're locked in because mm. guess what friends there's no knob on the other side yeah. <laughs> and that's when I, I, the penny dropped for me finally. Was it? Yeah, it was in 2009. The penny dropped yeah. because I thought, this is it. Mm. You have finally led yourself to 
the literally padded cell with yeah. no hard edges. You have fucked up. Mm-hmm. This is it. You know, you can pretty much kiss your marriage goodbye. But at this point, things were rocky as hell anyways, for many reasons. Um, you you just failed your MA program. Mm. And that's why I started drinking that day. Yeah, your your life is pretty much like screwed. So either get it together or walk out in traffic because mm. that's it. You've, you've, you've pooched it. You've mm. pooched it. So I made the choice in 2009 to start the process. Went into um, a intensive therapy program at um, the Foothills Hospital okay. for two years. It was an outpatient program. You had to commit to, you had to commit to every single Wednesday for the next two years, and they would not. It was this old guy that was running it. Old, old. I think he retired right after we were done, and he was grizzled, and he had seen it all, and mm-hmm. he was awesome i could you know i'll never see him again but i think he saved my life by being that voice of reason Mm -hmm. and looking at you in the face and going i fucking call bullshit Mm -hmm. and he would say that he's like there's no holding your hand and telling you oh you're such a poor girl oh that's too bad he's looking at you and go fucking bullshit Mm -hmm. (laughs) i loved him he was awesome but that was the beginning of -hmm. all of it that was the yeah cool yeah. So what happened after that? Oh my gosh, so much, yeah. so many things. Well, we got a little bit of time. If you oh, want I know, to tell and us I'm just, it. I'm settling in. I'm yeah. like, okay, I can settle right into this sucker. Yeah. Get cozy. Yeah, I am. This is great. <laughs> I've got, I've got everything I need in life. I've got water, the sun shining. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not asking for much anymore. <laughs> yeah, this is pretty cool, actually. <laughs> and it is. It's pretty awesome to be here. I, I just love the idea because I'm, I'm thinking back in my mind, and I'm thinking also too about the emotions of the time, hmm. where it was. I pretty much by 2009 had looked at my life and I could see there were so many great things, but it would always be underlined with this level of sadness, mm. this level of of um, not accepting myself in any way, shape or form, you know, and always having this, and I write about this sometimes, this constant glass wall between me and everybody Mm -hmm. else so it was always glass because you can see out it you can kind of interact with people but there's always going to be that distance Mm -hmm. and it counts on the person you know if you don't like somebody it's going to be super thick and (laughs) kind of painted over and you're like nope don't want to see this human i'm going to ignore you if it's somebody i really cared about and actually loved i i didn't want it there but Mm -hmm. it was always there and i could sense it yeah so in 2009, I think I was starting to figure out finally to unwrap what uh, the alcohol abuse was, how it was impacting my mental health. Mm-hmm. Because by this point, I'd had so many ups and downs with yeah. my mental health and I'd been on medication and tried to get off it and finally found some good stuff and had too much meds. And mm-hmm. it, was, it was kind of a roller coaster for me um, and family and friends, too. I mean, we have to remember they were, you know, watching me. Self-destruct, get cleaned up. Self-destruct, get cleaned up. You know, there's no, I think it's very funny when people are like, well, they still say this, did you hit rock bottom? I'm like, no, I hit the ground. And then just like people, when they jump out with no parachute, sometimes they bounce. Mm -hmm. I'd been bouncing for a really long time and just going bang, 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 bang. So for me, it was a case of in 2009, finally getting some level of like, okay, I need to get control of my life and stop mm. kind of 
handing it over to other people and handing it over to the booze and handing it over to others. Mm-hmm. You need to take control of what you're doing. You know, you do have some some element of control. So this program was incredible. It was a group therapy. Mm-hmm. And you all held each other accountable for stuff. And it wasn't just, and it wasn't based on your, your, you are abusing alcohol. It was mm-hmm. actually, you have a mental health issue, yeah. which was the real core problem. The, for me, I figured out the, the problem was, is I was masking a lot of the serious issues and mm-hmm. problems I'd had with, of course, the, the, the booze. Mm-hmm. And I loved beer. Beer was my number one choice. Uh, and I really liked uh, gin and tonics. Mm-hmm. And to this day, I'd still like, I'd, I'd mow y'all over if I could have a gin and tonic with no negative outcomes. Mm-hmm. Even, it's been four years and I'm like, nope, where's that gin and tonic? Mm-hmm. So I just don't, just don't go there. Don't even, you know, have it in near me because I'm still like, eh, that looks good. And that'll mm-hmm. probably be me for the rest of my life going, could be yeah. yummy. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe but beer I can't stand anymore. It's like, oh God, it smells like rotting everything. It sounds it smells like I don't know. I noticed that it was like, funny that it was like now it smells like rotting yeast. Mm-hmm. And cause it is, and I'm like, Ugh! so I'm fine. <laughs> I won't go near that again. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, it just stinkies. It's just like, wow, rotting grape and rotting yeast in a vat. Mm. All I smell with beer is like what the bar smells like at the end of the night. Yep. That's what it smells like now for me. It's, it smells like sadness and despair. <laughs> <laughs> you just described how I spent like almost every night for like two years, man. In sadness and despair. Yeah. <laughs> and it smells like the carpet at the old UFC den. Oh. That oh, it, Do you the remember beer? there were oh, picnic yeah. tables and there was like a layer of filth that was masquerading as carpet? Mm-hmm. And... <laughs> And, and the smell in there, that is the smell of desperation and misery when and sadness. When carpet sticks, it's gross. Oh, yeah. It was just the most horrific yeah. thing in the world. Yeah. And I remember that well. Yeah. <laughs> too well. Yeah. Too, no, never again. Uh, never going into a dive like that. Mm-hmm. I just, I smell it and I'm like, nope, I'm out of here. Yeah. So it's, uh, no, we don't do that. And, and we won't funny. stand in the way. If there's like gin and tonics, we're not standing in the way. No. I don't fight people over that stuff. So. No, I don't even yeah. go near it or anything like that now. And when I see other people drinking, it's quite funny. I'm like, nope, not even slightly wanting to do mm-hmm. it. And it's because of all of the cognitive behavioral, um, rational behavioral therapy that I did mm-hmm. in this program. And again, it was all about the baseline was you have a mental health issue. Mm-hmm. You know, you are a person with a mental health disorder. Mm-hmm. It is not that you are depressed. Yeah. Very different uh, discussion happening mm-hmm. that never happened for me before. It was always you're you're you have major depressive disorder. This is all you're going to be. Mm-hmm. You are an alcoholic. That's all you are. So this is the labels that I had felt society and and treatment had put on mm-hmm. me, my doctors and whatever. When I tried to talk to them about it. Um and now I was in a situation where it was, we're going to talk about you and how you're coping with stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, everything else is just a mask. Let's get down to the, the nitty gritty of two years of this. Yeah. And I thought, what if I signed up for? It's like going into basic training for two years of the military. Because mm. I, I felt like I had no life skills. Yeah. You know, I was still acting like a teenager. Really? I think so. I'm, let's see. How old was I? So that's 2009, 10 years ago. 
wow, I was 34-ish, mm-hmm. I guess. And I was still, I still had a lot of reactions and things that a teenager would do. Mm-hmm. I really, they always, you know that show Arrested Development? Yeah. When I saw that, I was like, wow, that was me. I was arrested in my development. Like, we went a certain way. Mm -hmm. And I was like, nope, that's good. I'm just going to act like a teenage jackass some of the time. But I could mask a lot of it because I was a good chameleon about it with the the autism, the, the, the booze, and the rest of it. So, you know, I helped formed some theater companies. I had a full-time job. I went to university. I, you know, the mask was really good. Mm-hmm. Did a really amazing job, I thought, of kind of hiding the mental illness and hiding the the, the heavy drinking. And you know what? People aren't stupid. Mm-hmm. They saw through it. They just didn't know what to do because every time they even tried to bring it up to me, I would react so badly. I'd cry. I'd be so unreachable, I think, mm-hmm. in some ways. And it would terrify them. And you're nodding. And I'm thinking, yeah, you know. You've probably seen that yourself with people or or had to have conversations with people and they're clearly not ready. Mm-hmm. They will not take they will not take the help. Yeah, for they sure. They are not ready. And um I don't know where that magic button of ready was, but I think mm-hmm. my magic button of ready was that padded holding place at the Foothills Hospital in 2009 in December. Mm-hmm. You know? I think that was it. I think it scared the crap out of me. Yeah. I needed the I needed the the fear put into me. And it's funny because my real personality is a really capable, confident, good-hearted person. But I had layered all this crap on top of mm-hmm. myself for so many years. And then so it took until 2009, 10, 11, and I went, wow, there is seriously some worms mm-hmm. in this apple. Yeah. And you have never dealt with them. Yes, you've gone to therapy. Yes, you've taken your medication. Yes, you've tried different stuff. But there's some serious fundamental issues Mm -hmm. at the core, Dave, that were not being addressed, which was, again, that fear. And these are... uh, these are universal. I mean, if you went around the world and you looked at somebody who is currently sitting in Abu Dhabi and said to them, what are you you really scared about in life? You'd be like, that nobody will love me. That's it. It's a universal thing. And I think that was my core thing is that because I had such a screwed up kind of vision of what love was that I had to earn it constantly that I had some really big issues that had never gotten solved. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, 2011 comes and I realize, well, unfortunately, you know, it's looking like my marriage is pretty much dead in a ditch, Mm -hmm. which was very sad and devastating to me to pull the plug. Um it had some serious negative consequences in my life for doing that. Mm. Not just, oh, you don't have your best friend around that you've had for the last, you know, I've known this man for most of my life, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's going to be like, screw you. And I can't blame him, to be honest, because mm-hmm. I put him through a lot. Um, it's going to go badly. But you're also going to have to move out of your house, lose your cat, uh, lose your family. Mm-hmm. By that point, both my parents had died. And I had a very rocky relationship with one brother and the other one was getting better. And, but I had now lost parental units and family and, and all this as well from the divorce. So there was a lot to lose. Um, financial stability. Mm-hmm. Suddenly I was on my own and I'm like, I'm, I'm in a lot of trouble, even though I've got a good job. Thank toaster ovens for that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I say that all the time. I'm like, holy mother of toaster oven. Uh, just because I work, I work somewhere where you really shouldn't be swearing or doing mm. anything like that. So I'm always like, holy mother of toast or sugar dumplings. Like it's hilarious. Yeah. So I always pepper my stuff with that. And then I get on here and I'm like, fork, 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 fork. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I haven't heard you say fork once. Yeah. Cause I'm trying to not. Yeah, I'm not trying to use fork. I'm just trying to be honest and say, fuck. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. I try. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, you know, it came in 2012 and I went, I got to change my life. So I slept. I was so devastated. This is my other, oh, man, did you smash onto the ground for this one? So I'm trying to get sober. <laughs> I leave my husband. I'm sleeping on my friend's floor with pillows on the floor for two weeks and I lost like 27 pounds mm -hmm. <laughs> in two weeks. I stopped eating. I, I was laying on the floor. I had no bedding. I had nothing. And I was like still kind of in the illusion lounge stage of my life, you know, laying in that illusion, mm. sitting on that comfortable couch of denial, I, I like to call it. Yeah. Um, of I can maybe make my marriage work again. And I'm like, oh, girl. Now I look back and I'm like, mm. girl, that is DOA. You put a bullet in that puppy. I mean, that's, <laughs> you just pulled the trigger right on it. So you need to let it go. Uh, <laughs> I eventually <laughs> did. But those two weeks were really good. Mm. I cried and I cried and I cried. For the first time in my life, I didn't cry at my mother's funeral. Mm. I didn't, I kind of cried at my dad's, thank God. But I didn't even do that. Like I never cried. And I still am not quick to cry, but I will cry now. Mm. Oh, that's so sad. You know, I was watching RuPaul's Drag Race the other day and all these poor people are talking about how hard it's been because, you know, people have been very negative towards them because they're they're gay and queer mm. and that or and transgendered in one case. And so my husband and I are sitting on the couch and we're just crying like maniacs. We're like, my God, people suck, you know, and, and why can't you just accept everyone? So it was very yeah, why funny. Why is this a thing? Why is this a thing? I don't care. It's not important. It's about the heart. And so we're crying like crazy. Mm. Like, oh, you can't treat people like that. That's wrong. And then I realized, you know, that's the person I actually am as somebody who cries mm. when things are touching to me. Yeah. That's being a full human being and not an immature jackass, which is where I still was in mm. 27 or 2012. So I'm laying on my friend's floor and it, it hits me that I haven't cried this hard ever except for when i did get the news about my parents death mm -hmm. i did kind of crawl into a ball and scream and cry and i'm finally letting a lot of pain and suffering out that has been festering uh you know in this kind of worm riddled core of my life as i'm slowly picking out all the worms and the rot and the rest of it um and getting down to the nitty gritty of it um and so from that day on i started to slowly build up the resiliency first to stop drinking i had to build up the resiliency to do it mm -hmm. so i had to change jobs something less stressful so that worked out great uh got into a new relationship with the man i'm married now because i guess i just don't know how to date and run around like a maniac i mm. don't I don't know. It's not uh, your thing, man. It's, all it's just good. not my thing. That yeah. looks like work. And I'm really lazy. <laughs> you, well, you got it right. It's a lot of work. It is a lot of work. No, no joke. No way, man. Yeah. I tried it a bit when I was single. And I had so many dates and so many guys on the side and so many everything else on the side because I'm also queer. So God only knows what I was doing. And that was a lot of work. How do people do that? They must not hold down a job or something because... I couldn't do it for very long. I was exhausted. I was like, oh, 
I can't do that. I cannot be a female gigolo. It just does not. Work. I don't know how they do it. I don't know. I mean, I have no idea. No, I'm more of a one, one human person. I just want to be with you, sitting on the couch, drinking coffee, and watching RuPaul's Drag Race. Like honestly, that's all I want. <laughs> that's that makes for a simpler life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know that kind of stuff. It's just fantastic, and you know. Uh, I think for me at that point too, I was just looking for something stable and healthy mm-hmm. and I wasn't willing to just dive into a new relationship. And he had seen me, he had, he had known me before I had gotten married before. Um, so he had seen me through this whole yeah. range. So there was no illusion on the, and this is the man too. I showed up on his doorstep completely wickedly drunk in 2009. Mm-hmm. So he had no illusions of what he was getting into. Um, and he never, to his credit, he never said, you need to stop drinking. He mm-hmm. waited and he watched as I got stronger and stronger and stronger mm-hmm. and made those decisions and said, no, I'm no longer going to do this. No, I'm mm-hmm. going to keep going to therapy. No, I'm going to keep going to, um, I like to go to recovery college now mm-hmm. um, that the Canadian Mental Health Association runs. It's oh, amazing. Okay. Cool. Um, you know, and then I started the SMART program, which mm-hmm. some people know is SMART Recovery, which is online. And also they have meetings um, in person across Canada. Mm-hmm. Start going to that. Start getting more information about how to do this. Yeah. Now I'm ready. What and was it was the recovery college. Uh, I don't mean to interrupt you. I just no, 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 I know no, no, he's no. writing stuff down. I know he's writing down stuff to make sure. What's it again? You asked Recovery me the College. Yeah, it's called Recovery College. Okay. And it's run by the uh, Canadian Mental Health Association. Okay. Um, and if you Google it online, you will find Recovery College and then just put in Canadian Mental Health Association. Okay. And what they do is, is they take people like me who are like, we're doing okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're functional. We're not, you know, in a padded room or screaming or doing yeah. whatever. But- we need to kind of continue to do the maintenance on our life mm-hmm. to continue to meet new people. Or there's a lot of people I met too, um, who just were totally inspiring. You know, they've got a mental illness too. Yeah. Um, and they are wanting a better life, but they're learning, you learn how to live with it. So there's mm-hmm. courses on, you know, you got to learn how to make friends again. <laughs> yeah. Right. After yeah. anything, either recovery uh who you are and then who do you want to hang out with becomes mm-hmm. a big issue you're like no i want somebody who's kind and gentle and has a good heart and it's compassionate mm-hmm. if you're not those things i don't know if we could be friends yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> if you're a jackass maybe we shouldn't hang out <laughs> mm-hmm. well you could be choosy right yeah you yeah. can be choosy now because you're also you know you're sober for one so yeah. you know what a good friend looks like now it's not just somebody who buys the next bar tab <laughs> yeah i love well, that i don't know that was still a good friend yeah yeah well sometimes yeah i still have some of those friends too you know they yeah. they definitely picked up a lot of tabs i like the ones who grab lunch sometimes it's oh nice. yeah i still have those ones yeah, too he super him nice. and i just had lunch on friday so he picked up the tab because i forgot my card so you know props out to danny because i will be sending this to him later on props be, danny props danny we love you you're a good man and thanks for falling for the oldest scam in the book the old i forgot my bank card <laughs> i uh, pull that one out of my wallet all the time yeah. oh look at that there's nothing oh, there oh, to my credit i actually <laughs> wasn't fibbing for once Sorry, i would danny. believe her over me anytime yeah, i yeah, right. <laughs> he knows me. He's nodding and laughing right now. Uh, if he's if if when he listens to this, he'll just be like, "Yeah, oh my god, I love it." Um, 
but uh, I think it was too that, you know, like Recovery College, they show you how to be who you are again. So I mm-hmm. took a spoken word uh, course with a bunch of amazing people who'd never done it before, and neither had I. Even as a writer, I'd never tried spoken word. Mm-hmm. I tried it a little bit, but not successfully. This went really well, and now I'm starting to write with it. So it's not just we're going to sit around and talk about our diagnosis. In fact, mm-hmm. we avoided it. Yeah. Uh, if you wanted to bring it up, great. But all of them were more on let's focus on what you would like to do, mm-hmm. what your actions are in your recovery journey with mental illness. Mm-hmm. And the emphasis from all of them was you are a person with a mental illness. Mm-hmm. You are not the illness. Yeah. Remember that. You are not an alcoholic. You are a person who used to abuse alcohol. Mm-hmm. So keep that in mind while you're here. Yeah. And it was about you as the individual and how you are going to be living your life. Mm-hmm. And when you are drunk, you do not make that choice. You have deferred all decision making to another day. Mm-hmm. You're putting it off. I think, you know, I'm so driven in reality. But when I was drunk, I was the ultimate procrastinator. Mm-hmm. Nothing would happen. Nothing. I would not give my poop together at all. Mm. I would just drink and drink and drink and drink all weekend and then sober up and go to school or do whatever. And it's like I just hit the defer button because I just couldn't handle the stress anymore. Mm. And I figured that out when I went to my last, you know, kind of round of therapy in 2011, 2012 that was really intensive. Mm. And also through SMART, um, again. And I, I, you know, I think personally I had tried AA and I think that again, any 12 step program also has the same core value, which is you need to make amends to other people, but you also need to make amends to yourself. Mm. Yeah. So you kind of deferring what your life is going to be and putting it on hold all the time is one of those things you need to make amends for. Mm -hmm. And that's what I needed to really do for myself. So I started really living more of that authentic, honest life that I wanted and being a very honest person with people. So I also, and this is a thing from Smart and AA that people uh, do a lot and I did definitely was, I told everybody. I wasn't running from the street screaming, oh, Mm -hmm. I'm in recovery. No, I wasn't like, you know, wearing a ginormous shirt, but I was close to it at one point. (laughs) <laughs> you know it would come up in casual thing oh Tracy, you want to go for beer i'm like nah man I, i've been i've been sober for a couple of years i don't drink anymore i had a problem with it mm-hmm. they're like oh really or new f- or, or old friends would be like hey so let's go get some beers i'm like no man i've been on been on the wagon now for two years i haven't touched mm-hmm. a drop i'm done they're like wow that's awesome way to go like what happened? What, what what occurred? And it was the t- chance to have a bigger conversation. Yeah. Right? Because people were, they had an image, I think, for a very long time. And I think because of this podcast that you do and the great work that you do and other people do, Thanks. you you break down the misconception that a quote unquote alcoholic is a bum on the street, just drinking, mm-hmm. although I have been that person, let's be honest. <laughs> I'm sure I was drunk in a snowbank many a time. Thank you, Several. person who pulled me out of that snowbank in 2003. I do appreciate it. <laughs> um, I did not freeze to death. Yeah, um, thank God for that. But I was wet. Yes, I do thank God for that one. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's some, thank I actually, whatever for that. Whatever thing yeah. that people want to go for. I, yeah. I actually do believe in my mother, actually, and my father gently trying to encourage me to 
live a little better life now that they've mm. both passed. Um, definitely my mother. She she was very good at that. Do you guys do you guys smell smoke? Yeah. What's okay? Going on? Good. I'm glad. I just wanted to make sure I wasn't having a stroke. Okay. Yeah, I'm not smelling burnt toast. But yeah, I, I wasn't sure what it was. So I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, no, no. Yeah. It smells like somebody's having a lovely campfire outside. It does smell good, and it's just yeah. lovely. I love those campfires with the little cocoa and everything. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, this is the best. It's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Without okay. the Baileys, thank you. Ugh. <laughs> Ugh. I'm so, really sorry for interrupting you. I I can't even remember. It's all good. I'm just rambling on, and you're nodding, and I'm like, yeah, I can do yeah. this. This is great. You're like, hey, good. I like this. You're doing good. Oh, good. absolutely you're doing great yay i like that when i'm doing okay i like it and i'm doing great i love it Mm -hmm. um thank you i appreciate that yeah you're welcome i think what you've done and a lot of other people are doing is what i want to continue to do which Mm is it's not you have an image of a person who's an alcoholic they can't keep their poop in a group they're Mm -hmm. they're homeless you know no negativity to those individuals who are suffering with uh alcohol abuse disorders Mm -hmm. right now but you had people had this narrow concept. They don't understand it is that co-ed at college mm-hmm. getting wasted every weekend. When did that become okay? Mm-hmm. When did this become socially acceptable and encouraged for young men and women to abuse themselves with booze? When did I have we, no idea. You know, yeah. and I, I kind of, because I'm a trained good, historian, I always ask question. these questions of like, when the hell did this happen that we were okay? Because in mm-hmm. college, I was a professional. I was like drinking engineers under the table. Like mm-hmm. it was bad. This is not a brag. This is like a holy crap. It was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, stupid, foolish, whatever you want to call it, actions of a younger person. You know, I wouldn't do that now, but I look back at that young woman who's in so much dire pain and you know we were encouraged mm-hmm. right and i think they still you know society very much encourages men and women to binge drink um and it pisses me off because mm-hmm. nobody wants to talk about it so when i do start to have these conversations with people i say i say things like this and go yeah you know what i'm in recovery for a reason mm-hmm. i i was really on a path to self-destruction and i was going to take everybody with me because on the relationship, right? You know, you're not running around at work going, hey, everybody, I'm on the wagon. Mm-hmm. But you will have those more. I do have them. And I made sure every single person I knew in my life as well knew I stopped drinking. Mm-hmm. So when I went to a, an event today to do a reading at Loft 112 um, that's run by Lisa uh, Murphy Lamb, she won't have a problem with I already told her I was going to plug her. Uh, nice. <laughs> she, uh, she poured me a glass of water. Mm-hmm. It, it's automatic. People don't even bother anymore. They're like, oh, Teresa's here. Get the coffee pot on because mm-hmm. that's what she likes to drink or get her some tea or whatever. There's no mm-hmm. there's no discussion or anything. And I think that's That's the key. benefit of being honest, though. Yeah. If you're honest, then you've got people to support you yeah. when you don't want to be honest. Exactly. Because yeah. this is the thing. Great that you're, I call it my recovery of four years that started in 29 2009 took me 10 years there was lots of bumps in the road Mm -hmm. and a big one happened four years ago that started the process and it was pretty bloody epic and toasted a friendship of of mine although he kind of deserved it at the end of the day now i'm looking back and i'm like eh, i should have done that when i was sober and i'd probably said the same thing Mm. (laughs) (laughs) which is you know kind of indicates where my head was at anyway but then, you know, I did I did uh, overindulge one night and got into some mischief. And then I cleaned up my act two years ago and mm-hmm. I'm good. And 
I think that's the other thing is that expectation. Mm -hmm. You need to be realistic. And if you think, okay, now I've never stopped. I'm never going to drink again. It's over. I'm a perfect person. Mm -hmm. There's nothing else is going to happen. My life's going to be all roses and daisies and everybody's going to love me. No, it doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. You got to work at it. I found I have to work at it very consistently, but not to the huge extent I did at the very beginning. It's getting easier every day. Mm -hmm. I think I think less about it constantly. It's like I go with entire weeks of being like, really? I used to drink? Mm -hmm. Really? Why would I do that? Ugh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you make the face and you're like, oh, God, what, what the hell was I doing? Was I was I? What was I doing? You're, you're looking back and you're, you think, not that that's another person, but you were in another country. It's mm -hmm. that level. You're like, that was a country I never want to visit again. Mm -hmm. That's called Drunk Village. <laughs> and the village of drunk. Yeah. And that was a horrible, dark, <laughs> pain-inducing, wow, mm -hmm. we're never going to do that again. <laughs> so, yeah, that's kind of where we're at now. So now cool. I have a lovely job, a lovely cat, a lovely husband. Lovely friends, mm -hmm. meaningful work. I get to to do something, and I do a lot of community uh, advocacy work, and I get to write. Um, so you are a writer. That's you've right. mentioned this a few times. Yeah, because so, I'm plugging the hell out of myself. Yeah, yeah I'm good. No, I'm glad. no, it's a big part of my recovery too. Yeah. Right? Is is writing and being creative? Mm -hmm. It always has been. I started when I was in grade four. Yeah. I, when my teacher gave me. Um, props and said oh this poem's really good you know Teresa you should seriously think about like what you want to do with your life you're great you're in grade four but this is a very good poem you know you could be a writer mm -hmm. and I went boing I'm gonna be a writer and that's it that I've just been doing that ever since but yeah. you were gonna ask me about something. your book my book yeah so, so is this your first book that you're working on or your yes. second first no okay. this is the first one so okay. what happened was is that I was going through this process over the last couple of years mm -hmm. And it was great. I was looking at all these great books and I was doing all this stuff and I was, all of them felt really hollow to me. Hmm. I was reading a lot of the material and unless it was from a clinical point of view, you know, it was a lot of personal memoirs and, and, and recovery stories, but a lot of it was, there was something missing and it wasn't that it was not raw enough, but it was a lot of, I had to sober up. This is my journey, which was amazing. Then they got to a certain point and it just stopped. They're like, and now I'm sober. And so I started looking for books that had, now what? Yeah. That's great. I'm so happy you're still going to meetings. I'm so happy you're still doing this like 20 years later. No, I want to know the meat. Mm -hmm. What's the other stuff did you have to do? Yeah. Great. I'm so happy that you stopped drinking. You know, whatever mm -hmm. it was. Great. I'm so glad you stopped shooting your eyeballs up with Vaseline. I yeah. don't know what. Yeah. Awesome. You know, you stop screwing the furniture. Whatever <laughs> your addiction was. <laughs> Woohoo! Oh, yeah. look at that ottoman. Woohoo! Yeah. Um, Tell you what. But I wanted more. And I wanted people to kind of discuss it in a more meaningful way of like, now what? Mm -hmm. Like, great, you're sober, but how about actual life recovery? Yeah. And what I found was is that there were very few books that actually dealt with, okay, you're now in recovery. Mm -hmm. How do you stay in recovery? for a long period of time. Yeah. What do you continue to do? And I wanted it, so the book came out of that and I published the first, because it's a series of essays actually. Mm. So I published the first one again with Loft 12. Um, they call it uh, uh, pr uh, Press On Loft, 
112 press, I think she calls mm. it. And it's just a small little micro press that uh, Lisa started. Um, and she publishes these little chat books. Mm -hmm. And she put mine in and she she gave me a reading and it was fantastic. We had been friends for a long time and I'd done, because I'm also a playwright and mm. I write for I write for money. Mm. I call myself the mercenary writer for a reason. Um, I've I've written things covertly for BuzzFeed and everything. Because mm. why? They pay me a hundred bucks. I'm like, hey, what the hell? I'll write yep. your stupid 17 things I'd like to do with my feet this winter. Like, I don't care. Yeah. Um, you're going to pay me. That's great. Uh, I can buy a new bike. Um, but I started thinking about this and I started writing it. And it was uh, the the chat book was also in the context of Calgary and its geography and more about the city. Mm -hmm. And I was like, how did the city influence my drinking? Because all my heavy drinking was uh, here and in Edmonton when I went to university. So, you know, very much an Alberta story. Every time I went away to study somewhere else in the world, I was dead sober. I never mm -hmm. drank when I lived in Japan and China and visited there and overseas and whatever. Never drank. Never mm -hmm. drank. Why? What's about this city in my recovery as well that's helped me? So mm -hmm. I started unpacking a lot of it. And then I wrote this chapbook. It was extremely well received. Sold. I actually like sold some, which was awesome. And then I just kept writing. So the book is, uh, it's going to be 10 essays. Mm -hmm. And they're all different actions and part of the surrounding area. So mm -hmm. this one was, it's called Just a Walk. And you can buy it, people. I still have copies. If you're interested, <laughs> excellent. How do they How do they contact you? To um, they can uh, go to my website. Or we oh, website. Yeah. What's your I website? I have a web. Uh, Teresa uh, writing by Teresa Marie. Mm -hmm. I think that's what it calls writing by Teresa Marie. I'll look it up after and make okay, sure and send cool. it to you guys. But they can contact me through my website and they can say, "Hey, I'd like to to read what you wrote because it's about." The time I walked, we used to live in the East Village and I walked up to where our new place is. Mm -hmm. And it's about how walking has really helped me stay sober, but also work through the recovery process. Mm -hmm. The motion, motion is a really big thing to me because of Huge. the autism yeah. and the fact that I can meditate while I'm walking. So this is a walking meditation through my own recovery. Mm -hmm. And that's what this book is. The images are all about physical activity. The images are all about areas in Calgary the area, oh, and outside of Calgary in the mountains as well that have a pivotal impact on my life. Mm. So I'm walking through here and I'm thinking about things like, you know, how my recovery is going and the reaction even from my physiotherapist of like how he's one of those great nurturing people mm -hmm. and how I'm you know, how I'm healing and I'm going up the hill and I'm walking faster and faster and I can feel the burning in my lungs that I want to feel. Mm -hmm. I want to feel these things because they're real, they're concrete. So the whole book is like that. Yeah. And it's all about, this is what work, you can take it as two ways. One, wow, this is a really great kind of amazing journey of this person who has come through a lot of stuff because I do go into the super dark like mm. why I ever picked up that ball. It wasn't just death in the family. It was all, mm. you know, the way I was raised and all that kind of stuff to unpack and some other some other stuff that occurred for me. Um, you know, and I unpacked that a bit, but it's how you unpack it through movement and and through ge and moving through geography, mm -hmm. which I find a very Canadian sort of thing to do. If you read a lot of Canadian literature and books and the rest of it, there's a very strong sense of space mm -hmm. 
-hmm. There's a very strong sense, I find, of Canadian location geography. There's, Mm -hmm. we talk a lot about she sat next to the river and how the river flowed and Mm -hmm. we want to look, she looked at the river and this is how she felt. We really like to embed ourselves into space Mm -hmm. and what that geography looks like for us. So I found that really interesting. So I was really excited to start this book. Cool. So I'm halfway through it. Yeah. And either I find a publisher that's willing to work with me, fingers crossed, or I'm self-publishing it next year. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of my friends, they're professional writers. Like they've put out books themselves and done very, very well. Mm-hmm. So you can kind of do that yeah. now. Yeah, and it's great. Can. Yeah, it's wonderful. I really like it. Fantastic. Cool. So the, when when are you expecting to have it done? Oh, it's going to be done um, this fall. And then I've got a year and I want to put it out in fall 2020. Mm, cool. Yeah. So right it's on. definitely going to be that. Until then, people can buy uh, excerpts and yeah. they can buy the whole um, Just a Walk from my website, mm-hmm. which I will load up part of it, um, hopefully after the the podcast mm-hmm. here. Um And then, you know, I've got a bunch of other projects, too, that I'm doing. But so writing really, to me, is an ongoing life tool that allows me to be creative. And yeah. Well, tell us about the other projects. So the other projects is is I'm involved in the Calgary Gay History Project. Um, Well, that sounds pretty cool. It's amazing. So you can call it whatever you like, Calgary Queer History, Calgary Gay History, Mm because that's always... Some of our senior member elders of the queer community would prefer not you to use the word queer because that's it's an old derogatory term for mm-hmm. them. Uh, anybody yeah. that's over, I'd say about fifty, is still kind of like, eh, "I'm gay," yeah. or "I'm a lesbian," or "I'm a dyke." Yeah, um, they really don't like that term queer. So we kind of play with that quite yeah. a lot. But the project was started in 2012 and Kevin Allen, who's the, and he'll be fine with me doing that too. I checked. He's like, yeah, you tell everybody everything. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> but he started it um, as a historical thing, uh, part of that Calgary 2012 mm. um, that was going on in the city, you know, because we were cultural. We named it one of the cultural capitals of Canada in 2012. And he got some money and he started developing um, Calgary's gay history. And he wanted mm-hmm. to know more about our history. And it just blossomed. I ran into him at the uh, at a talk that he was doing and i was like oh this is great i want to be a part of this because i was a trained historian Mm -hmm. i was i had an interest in and had done uh work on gender and sexuality in china yeah uh, especially gender and women and medicine yeah when i was doing my ma so for me it was a really interesting thing to talk to him and it just took off Mm -hmm. so this project now has blossomed into a thousand different petals it's quite incredible and we've really pushed hard to get um, a couple of very important projects off the mark. And it's been really great. One of them is uh, we're celebrating at the Calgary Public Library uh, this Tuesday coming up. Um, we're going to do a talk and it's uh, on de- the decriminalization of homosexuality um, mm-hmm. in 1969. Yeah. So we're going to talk about those aspects and everything. So that I'm writing a paper about for inclusion that's going to be published in the fall of this year in a play that was written about the last man who was uh, in jail for homosexuality. Mm-hmm. It was an Albertan. Um, really? Was, yeah. His name was Everett Clippert. He was a bus driver here in Calgary. And he had been imprisoned twice for uh, gross indecency is what they would call it back then. Mm. Um, and then what happened was, is he was, he was, he moved to um, the Yukon and he had gotten arrested again 
for, uh, I think he was living, yeah, I think it was Yukon or Nethrus Territories. I'd have to check on that. But he went up there and um, the RCMP arrested him because he had had, you know, consensual relations with other men. Um, it was illegal and they arrested him. Mm-hmm. And then they said, we're going to charge you and put you in jail for another four years. Well, the shit hit the fan because the Crown then said he's a dangerous offender and he's an unrelenting homosexual. He's a danger to society. You should throw him in jail and lock him up forever. And they said yes. And his case is the got the attention of, uh, I'm going to say, is uh, William Wanity, who was a uh, First Nations lawyer. And he know, he'd known um, Everett Clippert's sister, I think, got involved in the case that way and went, holy shit, no, you cannot do this to a human being for this. Things have changed. You need to move on. And he's the one who fought and got uh, Tommy Douglas and um, uh, Trudeau involved um, and brought about the crim- decriminalization of homosexuality oh. in 1969 in this case. Wow. Clippert stayed, however, in prison till 1971. And I'm still doing the research on why mm-hmm. he was put in prison that long and still there. I think now that we look at some of the documentation, it's because he had to serve out. He was still serving out part of his sentence, which makes no sense to me because mm-hmm. it was decriminalized in 1969 and he was out in 71. I think they were taking their sweet ass time is what mm-hmm. I think. But we'll see what the I'm trying to find a reason right now. Yeah. So I've got a lot of passions outside of because, again, I'm in recovery. I can mm-hmm. actually spend the time now doing this kind of really important work and talking about Clipperit and other people who had suffered a great deal um, in Canada's history mm-hmm. because they were they were LGBTQ to a you know, two spirit mm-hmm. individuals. So, you know, I'm really fascinated by this type of history, but also. That's fascinating. Also really, really pissed off. Yeah. I'm like, I never thought I'd get this mad, but I, it just makes me want to throw furniture. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. The more stories I hear about, like how, how some of our, our elders in the queer community, like how they were treated, what they went through to, it's, just to live like it's, it's a nightmare it's unreal. some of them never could come out there's a really good yeah. bunch of books out and they did interviews a lot of them they just kept it to themselves their whole entire lives why because if you did the consequences were beyond devastating mm-hmm. um and it speaks back to why i was so po'd with the current now alberta government and the way that they um, got to power was talking about um, in in some cases to a lot of people well we're going to get rid of those gay straight alliances or we're going to out the kids and mm-hmm. i just went i just lost my shit mm-hmm. i just went mental um online and every, i never do this and i just sent the longest letter to every single uh person who was running as an mla mm-hmm. and told them exactly why like for for that party that I won't say their name because I don't like them. I'm gonna I'm just gonna try to ignore them mm-hmm. <laughs> about this issue. I'm sure that's cool. You know, it's just about this issue. Um, we don't have to give those dicks any airtime. Ah, like seriously, thank you. Good. Oh, I'm yeah. so glad people understand. I'm like I'm not talking about them. Yeah, I don't, don't want to say anything. They 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 just don't get a lot of things, including how to help people who have severe drug addictions and mm. lots of other issues. So it really ticks me. They just they cheese my grits. 
They just cheese them. That's fair. <laughs> but the point is, is that it really touched something for me because I've I've talked to queer elders. The part of the Gay History Project is, and, and Kevin wrote a book, a lot of our information has come from firsthand. These people lived it. They lost their jobs. They lost their health care. They lost the ability to raise their children. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had their kids taken away. Some of them were placed in mental institutions like the Ponoka Institution and were treated for their homosexuality mm. because it was seen as a disorder yeah. uh, akin to torture in some cases that I'm finding out now, which is the other reason why mm. I'm going up to do some more archival work in Edmonton. Um, I got to be honest with you. I'm not like super shocked to find out that are the same governments who put like in the indigenous kids in schools and let them get raped and murdered and shit. I'm not really surprised. Yeah. They're doing the same. That, exactly. Same shit to queer people. Yeah. Same exactly. bullshit. Exactly. And screw you if you were indigenous and you were gay. You were yeah. you were screwed in this country. Yeah. And that's why that's a really hard history for me to even try to write. And I'm hoping that it won't be me. It will be an indigenous person mm-hmm. who wants to take on that that and uh, you know, because I'm Metis, but you know, I mean like somebody's First Nations and they self-identify as two spirit, mm-hmm. um, or a somebody who's really embedded in the Metis culture in a different way than I am. Mm-hmm. Um, I really hope that somebody else does that and mm-hmm. goes through and goes, Okay, let's go look, let's go, let's go find the bodies, everyone. Yeah. You know, because I think and i I worked on Indian residential school um casework for the federal government at one point. Um, there's more, (laughs) we've just scraped the surface, Mm. my friends. And I think we have not, I always tell this to my husband. I'm like, there's more, there's more bodies. There's going to be more horrors on all levels. It's not just about, um, it's not just about the RCMP going after homosexuals in Canada. Mm. There's going to be more. There's more. So we need to drag it out, the festering cesspools in the basement, and throw them up to the light and air them out. Why? Because we're never going to stop doing this GSA bullshit until we throw this out into Mm -hmm. the wind and go, hey, look at what we used to do before. Are now you going to have a problem with uh, GSAs in the schools? Like, we have to admit Mm -hmm. that we have screwed up in the past in Canada quite a lot and it's time to come clean and choose a de- d- better path. I think a good news for the Canadian government is they don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like they don't have to. No. They just do whatever the fuck they want anyway. Yeah. Well, if there's pains in the ass like me, we'll just drag up the moldy couch and everything yeah. and the mattress from the basement and there's yeah. like Gary Kinsman, if anybody ever reads him, he is the historian's, um, I think he's an anthropologist too. Hmm. He's the one who who was doing the war on queers, uh, the RCMP, hunting queers down Jeez. on purpose, on fucking purpose. This still kiss, just mm-hmm. pisses me off. I'm just still just like vehemently angry. He did all the initial research in the 1990s and I think before that too, Gary Kinsman. He did them and he said, look, the RCMP purposely went after gays in the military, in the government, in personal life, everything Pur- mm. purposefully targeted them. And I have evidence of that. He had that, that they were doing it as far back as right after World War II. Mm. So you dr- he dragged up all of it and everybody ignored him. Then people start, he kept talking and talking and talking and, mm. and he 
and he got people involved and everybody found out and finally they advocated to the government and finally what was it two years ago mm-hmm. they finally got an apology at least from the current government about hunting down the rcmp was actually guilty of this and they have paid restitution to some of the people who still are alive how how are the rcmp still a fucking body like I don't understand, man. I like, don't know. They, you know, after all the history of that organization, like how are they still operating? Yeah, from day one, we're like, let's be colonialist and take over the area with the Northwest Mounted Police. Yeah, but please do continue, like to this, you know. And maybe there, I don't know. Maybe there's some good things about the organization now. But how can we have good things about an organization now if we're not willing to admit the past? failures yeah. and mistakes and serious errors in judgment. And, and you know what the truth is? Like there, like there's good people that are RCMP officers. Oh yeah, there are. And That's I know the them. reality. But yeah. the, the organization itself is like, this is ridiculous, right? Yeah. Like to find out this stuff and that the organization still thrives. Yep. Well, Maybe not thrives. Well, Let's I, be think, honest. I think they've I think they've had a, some severe hits in the yeah, last couple of years, yeah. and I think it's because they didn't want to acknowledge their mm-hmm. history. Um, and and this goes back to this whole recovery podcast part, which is, you know, you have to acknowledge you have a problem first, mm-hmm. and that's what happened in Canada. We didn't want to acknowledge we had a fucking problem for mm-hmm. years. We wanted to be oh we're fine we're not racist, yeah really oh we don't hate gays. Really? Mm-hmm. Nah, yeah. it ain't working anymore. And I never, I think I inherited this from my father. He hated, he hated people who were two-faced. Mm. He hated that duality, that Janus thing that goes on, right? Mm. So that t- that flip of the coin, one minute you're, you're an angel, the next you're a devil. And his attitude was, too, because he had seen it his own life, is that, you know, you'll beat your wife on fr- on on saturday but you'll go to church on sunday he'd Mm. say and that really ticked him off he's like you know it ain't right and i think i inherited that from him that whole i'm gonna point that out to you because that is crap Mm. that is no longer gonna fly but there's so many people now who are doing Mm. that and going that's crap i'm not gonna put up with it anymore so that's why we're seeing so many people saying the rcmp is broken now Mm -hmm. no it is not a hundred percent wonderful institution. It's got a history yeah. of, of colonialist racism, bigotry, sexism, mm-hmm. you know, uh, which is bullying, bullying. Yeah. Right. And it's horrible because there's so many good people in the RCMP. Mm-hmm. So that's why we're having issues. Military. Yeah. PTSD. We're finally starting to admit to what we're, we've been doing in Canada mm-hmm. for a very long time. So it's kind of makes me happy to see it. Oh, it's At great least, that we're taking get some it accountability. Out. Yeah. But I feel like it still feels like there's more moldy stuff in the basement mm. and we got to drag it out. But again, it's just admitting you have to admit it. So if you live an authentic life, mm-hmm. you're going to look for authentic stories. And I think that's why I'm a writer. I continue to write. I love writing. I'll continue to do it my whole life. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a play coming out. Well, it's going to be workshopped this year, too. And it also has a lot about a person who has an authentic self that they have to figure mm-hmm. out who actually are you it's great you you have this label as metis but what else is behind it mm-hmm. you have to have more in you and i think that's my my whole recovery process has been that yeah. which is there's got to be more you are not just in recovery what are you going to do with it now mm-hmm. so you have to kind of make that that personal call yeah yeah so it's all very exciting for me 
Like, it sounds like it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's good times. It's good times. Cool. I love it. I'm just hanging out and getting to talk to people about my stuff. Yeah. And it's funny because it's very rare that people are like, wow, you're in recovery. That's nice. Mm-hmm. They wander off. Or you're a historian looking at gay history. That's nice. They're actually... It's fucking really cool, actually. That's what they say. They're like, holy shit. <laughs> so let me get this straight. You crawled up from the depths of crap, and you got your poop in a group, and now you're living this really amazing life. Mm. Holy crap on a ball. Like, you got to tell me more. Mm. Um, and it's kind of fun because then you have that nice connection. And I think I started out with talking about, like, there's always this glass wall. Mm-hmm. I don't have that glass wall with some people anymore. Mm-hmm. In fact, with a lot of people in life, I don't have a glass wall anymore. I'm just, hey, we're all good. Let's hang out. Oh, you're a bit of a jackass. Well, it's all good. You know, take mm-hmm. it easy. And then I leave. Or, you know, you you still have boundaries with people, but they're not made of glass. I'm not going to shatter them all over the place. Yeah. I'm not going to keep everybody out. I'm, I'm a little bit more secure as a as a writer and as a person, as a, as a historian, as... Mm. Right? It's a whole package deal. Mm-hmm. It's not just, again, I'm sober. That's it. Yeah. There's more to you. There's more to you. You're. I think that would be my biggest thing when, if I ever talked to like a grouper or whatever. I'd be like, there is more to you. Mm-hmm. You need to find what that more is and then go towards the more. Mm-hmm. You are not an alcoholic. That's a label. That's a sticker we put on people. Mm-hmm. You're this, you're that, you're, no, what are you actually? What do you value Mm. as a human being? What are you? What, there's more. Mm -hmm. Maybe you're an amazing poet. Maybe you're an amazing carver. Maybe you're really good at teaching people. Maybe you're really good at making a freaking cup of tea. Whatever it is, you need to go find that. Mm -hmm. And that's what I would say to most people um, when they do ask me, and I do run into people that I know who are kind of going through the recovery process now. Mm -hmm. I would say, so what else? There's got to be more. You have to fill your life with something. It can't just be booze or it can't just be drugs. It's got to be more. You have to do something with your time. <laughs> because I don't know about people, other people, but suddenly I had a lot of free time on my hands when I wasn't drunk. I'm like, what? I can yeah. actually do shit? <laughs> it's weird how much shit you can get done, too. Yeah. Wow. My house is really clean now, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's one of the things that many people turn to is cleaning. Yes, yeah. they do. Yeah, no, it's true. Yeah, my house Therapeutic, is apparently. still very, very spot. Like, it's yeah. really good. People come in, they're like, you're complaining. You, there's a little bit of cat hair. That's fine. I'm like, nope. I like my stuff clean now because mm. I wallowed in my own filth for long enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good enough. Good enough. <laughs> Keeping it clean is good. I like it. Yeah. Well, I mean, keeping it clean in the house, I guess. Yeah, yeah. That's what I, I meant. I, I've i also written some very questionably interesting, not clean stuff. And Sweet. I'm like, Woo! Okay, not keeping it clean. Woohoo! Well, there's, there's times to keep it clean, and then there's times to be like, whatever. I'm yeah. just going to go ahead and let it out. I can I can choose now. Yeah. You're, you're aware to make a choice because- Again, when you're when you're under the influence of many things, you're not making a choice and your mouth just wanders off. Mm-hmm. So I was a bully when I was drunk. Um, I was violent. Completely different part of my personality. Like, not really. I know. Me. I'm sitting here trying to picture you be violent, actually. And I'm like, I know. having a hard time with it. 
I'm not gonna no, lie to you. But I was. I'd get into fist fights and be yeah. like abusive um when I was drunk. Yeah. Um, not necessarily to friends or whatever, but strangers, like I'd be at the bar or whatever. Um, I'd be very negative. Uh yeah. I could be quite intimidating and very negative. Um, well, I'm glad you don't drink anymore. Though. Me too. <laughs> uh, I was not a pleasant person. And I was a, I think I was a big bully. And the other thing too is, is I remember this one incident. It's and when I went to school the first time. I was 18, 19, and then college and really drinking heavily. I was so cruel to this one girl in our class. So cruel. I told her, well, you know why? You have no friends in the program. Everybody doesn't like you. Hmm. Like shit like that. Uh, it's a miracle anybody wanted to be friends with me. What a dick. I'm, you know, what a jerk. And the next day I felt so bad and Mm. I apologized to her. Rightly so, she did not accept my apology, in my opinion. You know, and I thought to myself, even then, man, you got to stop drinking so much. Didn't do anything for the next, you know, plus whatever years but it takes what it takes it takes what it takes i mean there's no magic time period where suddenly the light bulb goes on in fact it takes you quite a long time with many incidents um at least in my case (laughs) i think most of our cases yeah yes yes lots of falling down the stairs that was my favorite thing um yeah lots of bumps on the head uh, I lost oh, my the- gallbladder. <laughs> I, I call it losing my gallbladder. I still blame the years of heavy drinking and not taking care of myself. For me, my bladder, my I, it was so bad, it had died. It had become gangrenous. And it was I was wandering around with really? a zombie. I was living with a zombie gallbladder for maybe about a year. And finally, it went mental one night at, at Easter. It was a couple of years ago now. And my husband... At my my boyfriend at the time, now my husband, phoned EMS. I thought, oh my God, I'm having a heart attack. They're like, you're not. It's either your gallbladder or you've got a hole in your stomach. And I said, well. Kate, I, none of those sound good. Dude, like, this That is pain bad. must have been fucking awful. And I was like, I wasn't fully, I had stopped drinking heavily, but I was still drinking a little bit yeah. at that point. And I was like, they said to me, are, are you, are you an alcoholic? And I said, I am, I have a, I have had, and I answered them a little bit better at that time. I said, well, you know, I did in the past. Now I've cut down by a, quite a lot. And they're like, we see for some reason, you know, your instead of your liver, your gallbladder probably took the hit princess. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we're going to pull it out of you because they found out it wasn't um, my stomach. And so I didn't know it was gangrenous and had been dead in me for quite a while oh. and was actually giving me pancreatitis until I went into the hospital. Like really? I could have fucking died. Yeah. Number would have been up. Check, please. Cha-ching. So what was the pain like? If, if they thought maybe it could be a hole in your stomach, that's some serious shit. Like serious pain. I was sweating bullets. I'd never been through that type of pain in my life. And I had been through a lot of pain. Mm. Um, I'd been through accidents, car accidents, whatever. Uh, I've broken bones. Um, this is the worst. Yeah. I felt like somebody was stabbing me with a pickaxe through my gut and they kept doing it. And oh. so I was sweating. They put me on morphine. I just laid there, you know, dizzy and sick and thinking, oh, I, I did this to myself. Fantastic. Two thumbs up, Teresa. You know, if we're going to do it, let's do her. 
let's do her big. Let's kill an organ. Go big or go home, go Teresa. Go big or go home, man. Go, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Devil horns and everything. So mm-hmm. at least I didn't toast my liver. And they got to me in time, it looks like, because the pancreatitis hadn't set in. Oh, it was, good. but they did need to give me quite a lot of drugs. Then they they could take care of me. But they're like, mm. you've developed pancreatitis. That is the early stages, the very beginning of it, when it dies. You cannot live without your pancreas, mm. people, unless you're going to be on dialysis and drugs. And you know, people who have diabetes, their pancreas isn't working. Mine would have been dead, mm. and I would have had definitely. I would have died at some point. Um, I knew people who had had pancreatitis and serious issues and they didn't live very long um wow and i didn't know that until three weeks after because i had to go back to the the hospital for a checkup just Mm because i was still having some pain and they're like oh you should be good and this is the funny part so the doctors go ahead and put up all my results because what they do is is they biopsy your gallbladder Mm -hmm. afterwards to make sure it's not cancerous other stuff and they said oh we've got your results here well look one of the younger doctors went over and went whoa and i'm like whoa what's whoa what's whoa what are you guys looking (laughs) so i'm just losing my crap and they're like calm down he didn't mean that and the guy's like uh yeah i did did." (laughs) and he looks at me and goes your gallbladder was dead for a long time i mean we're talking dead it was green and you were wandering around at least a good year with a zombie gallbladder i call a zombie gallbladder Zombie gallbladder. Yeah, it was dead, but still alive <laughs> in me. Oh so, my god, yeah. that's creepy. Yeah, so don't drink, kids. That's a good. That's a good lesson. What time are we at, Darcy? Okay. Oh my god. Okay. Perfect. Yeah, that's Thank, perfect. That's a perfect way to end it. Is like, don't drink, kids. Don't drink. Sweet. Seriously, don't ever drink. <laughs> thank you so much for coming today. Well, thank you for having me. That was yeah. the fastest hour and 11 minutes ever. Told, I, I lost track of time and I was, I didn't even ask him because I was like, can't be that long. So, Yeah, we were just, yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, let me tell you about the time my gallbladder tried to kill me. Yeah. <laughs> I had a thousand stories like that. I like those stories. Yeah, those are fun. We would like to remind you that the opinions shared are those of the individuals and not representative of Freedom's Path Recovery Society or any other affiliation we may share with organizations or individuals. Thank you, Wild Rose United Church, for your open-hearted giving to the community at large in a multitude of ways. You have graciously provided space and love for us to work within, and we cannot thank the staff, volunteers, and members of the church enough for all that they do each and every day. Thank you again, Darcy Robinson. As usual, your work is incredible. Thanks for donating it to us. I am not here without each of our board of directors, Trent Baker, Todd Deer, Christine Pimiskern, Heather Morijo, Wayne Lurie, and John James. To all of the individuals who graciously donate their money and time to helping Freedom's Path become a society and now a charity, thank you. Who is Freedom's Path? We work directly with individuals and families struggling and suffering from, with addiction of all types, mental illness, codependency, and a multitude of difficulties humans bring forward as they attempt to make life-altering changes. If you are interested in attending our upcoming or future groups, being a guest on the podcast, or looking to make a donation or help in some other way, please contact us through our website, www.freedomspathrecoverysociety.ca or find us on Facebook at Freedom's Path Recovery Society. 
If you are close to giving up, regardless of what your difficulty might be, please reach out to someone. You can always give up tomorrow, or maybe you won't have to. To anyone listening, imagine that your voice might be the only one someone hears inside their darkness. What is it you would like to say? As for me, I'm David Lurie, and I wish you all the best, wherever you are. Be safe and try to have some fun, because our time here is quite limited after all.